0: Good morning, church. Today's reading is John uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, "They have no wine." And Jesus said to her, "Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come." His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Dee. Well, uh, hey, everyone. Good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and uh, it's good to see you. It's good to be together again for everyone outside, Um, everyone in here. And uh, for all of you on, online, I um, just want to again say welcome, and, and I'm glad to be here worshiping uh, with and alongside um, you, just as a, as a church family. If, if you're new here or online or anything like that, and you've never heard me preach before, I do want to let you know that I have a... St- tutter, and it'll kind of come in and out as I, as I preach. I just want to make sure, though, that y'all know what that is, um, and so that's not distracting in um, any way as we, as we get into our time together in John chapter 2. We're about to start a new chapter in John. We'll be in this most likely all the way into next year, So, um, but hey, chapter 2 is a big deal, right? It's no joke, so you can say welcome to chapter 2 if you want to do that, um, But uh, before we do, before I pray, um, I want to share one thing with you. There's a bunch of stuff going on. But one of those things is um, there is a video that we made across all of Redemption. Um, A few of the folks um, on the executive team made a, a video. It's about 15 or 16 minutes long, and, and we just sent that out on Facebook and online and Instagram and different things like that, and um, we'll actually send that out in the emails as well this week. I want to make sure you watch that because it's an opportunity for us to hear some of how God has really blessed us as redemption and then blessed us to be a blessing, how we've gotten to give um, above and beyond financially to many different things all around the country and the world, and we know some of the things we've gotten to give and be a part of here locally in Tucson from caring ministries to safford school to the PMC um, ICU as well as um, to a partnership in Guatemala and um, some other things like that um, and yet again across all of redemption um, because of your generosity and your faithfulness in giving um, again just want to want to thank you and, and encourage you and just so watch that video and be blessed um, by what God is doing and has done in in through us so um, let me just go ahead and pray now. We'll get into our time. So you can turn in John chapter 2. We'll be in verses 1 through 12. Heavenly Father, we are um, coming before you as we even just sang about. And, and as we know coming in right now, we're all coming in different places. And yet, um, as has been the theme and will continue to be the theme throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of life, and specifically in John, Lord, we will see you, Jesus, more clearly as you reveal yourself to us. And so I pray that as we talk about a section of scripture that maybe some of us have heard about, maybe have some questions about, um, Lord, that, that again, the, the, the end of the day, we will see you and respond to you and live all of life, um, all for you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, if you have been in this passage before, you've ever read this, or even maybe what Dee just read in verses one through three of John chapter two, maybe some questions come to mind. Like, what is this all about? Why, you know, Jesus turning water to wine is probably a phrase or at least an idea or an event that many people have, have heard of and probably even wonder some questions. What's going on? Why is that here? Um, why is, we'll see in a moment, this the first of seven signs that John intentionally puts in there and makes clear that he wants to reveal to the audience some signs that, that are that are really important. So why this one and why start out with this one? Also, um, this John is the only Jesus turning water to wine isn't there. And so some of you like may not have known that. So why would John intentionally put it there? Then you press in even more. Why? is this section in here. Some people have made whole sermons, whole sermon series, probably, um, either against or for alcohol and try to use this as an example of, oh, this is all about, see, Jesus was all about alcohol, so he turned water to wine, so eat, drink, and be merry, you know, he doesn't care. Um, Or on the flip side, some will will try to you know do some work with this and try to say, no, it was different in their culture from our culture and and all this stuff. And and so what's it about? Is this just about alcohol? Another one, why is he talking to his mom, Mary, the way that that he does, right? Like you heard Dee say, woman, um, why do you make this known to me? Why are you bothering me? This isn't, um, you know, why are you bringing this news to me? And then yet he goes on and he does it. So is he being manipulated by her? Is he he having a bad day? Does even Jesus get, you know, grumpy and rude? And what's all this going on? So that's some of the context, right? Some of the questions I think that we likely have. But let me say out of the gates, what we will see this morning is that in this first sign, we see Jesus turning water to wine. I didn't mean to just (laughs) rhyme, sign in wine, right? This first sign, Jesus turns water to wine. And we learn that Jesus is the great master of the banquet who is preparing an incredible joy-filled feast to be enjoyed with and by his bride. Okay, so that's the theme that we're gonna press into. So all those other questions we might address here and there, but I want us to not miss the big idea. It's all about Jesus, the master of the feast, preparing a banquet to be enjoyed by his bride. So with that, now actually um, look ahead with me to verse 11. We're going to go there first because that kind of gives the overarching theme of this whole section. And then so we'll read in verses 11 and 12, then we'll circle back to verse 1. In verse 11, this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Okay, so this idea here uh, is um, out of the gates, we see some things, right? As I mentioned earlier there, this is the first of the signs, all right? And this um, sign is a theme that John will use multiple times. Because we might get caught up in the details. Again, we get into, we we start thinking about wine only right now, and we talk about that and we and then we look at this and that. Well, the signs are saying, look at this, this is important, but zoom out. It's pointing to something more important. Don't get stuck at the sign. All right, look up to, to what the sign is pointing, all right, is revealing. And again, it's all about Jesus. So our question, anytime all throughout John, we see a sign, we need to say, what about this? event, what about this story that John is talking about, um, points toward Jesus? What do I learn about Jesus? What 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 do I learn about how Jesus interacts? What do I learn about the things that Jesus celebrates, the things Jesus says? What's it pointing toward? Okay, this is the first of those signs. So the the, the first item, and we need to understand, okay, what are we learning about Jesus right here? Now, let me pause for a very brief second and just kind of pastor us for a moment, because in our cultural context, we do need to address this question about alcohol. And let me just first acknowledge, I think we need to have kind of um, historic humility of acknowledging some things that are true in our day that maybe weren't true. Um, Other than the last, like for sure before the last hundred years, no one would have even asked this question. No one would have read through this in in the over 2,000 years after Jesus died in in the life of his church, people wouldn't have asked that question. They wouldn't have gotten caught up here about, oh, what's all of this about alcohol? But in our culture, in our day, we do. And let me just say this in short, Jesus is absolutely, um, this is not a place where you can do kind of, you know, biblical gymnastics and try to say, oh, he's, you know, turning water to wine because they couldn't drink water in that day and it wasn't pure. Um, let's get real, it was a lot more pure than, than our day. Okay, that, that wasn't the need. He didn't need to um, change it from water to wine, so it wouldn't give you a tummy ache or you know things like that. Um, and and even all the way toward the end, God uses this language of wine. And at the same time, hear me, because again, in our day, wine or alcohol, like anything else, can be an idol can be something that we replace our identity in Christ, our joy, our fulfillment, our comfort, our protection um, that is meant to be found only in God, our creator, and we can replace that with anything. And let's again just be honest, in our day, one of the clearest um, destructive idols is alcohol and alcoholism. And so this is a place where we can acknowledge, again, like everything else in life, we can do incredible harm to ourselves, to others, to society, to the world around us if we replace God with anything else. And so if you come from a family of, you know, alcoholism or your own conscience says there'd be other places where we could press into this, then then wisdom and faithfulness would say, yes, stay away from alcohol. Okay, but again, this is not, that's not the Point of this, so I just feel like I at least need to kind of address that briefly. so what is the point again, as we look ahead here, we learn some things about Jesus. If you notice here, it says he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. okay, so this is a theme we 'll pick up earlier when he interacts with his mom what d Read earlier in verses um, one through through five in that section. There is that um, Jesus is 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 moving at a pace, and he's and he's and he's walking through um, the plan that the Father has laid out for him, and he is unwavering, unwaveringly and and humbly committed to that. Okay, so for example, the fact that his glory is manifested. What it's done to his disciples, and 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 even um, we'll see earlier that that it's the servants who 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 bring out this 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 miraculous work that Jesus has done. That Jesus could grandstand right here. He could say, "This is the hour of my glory," right? Like Eminem, you know, you've only got one shot. This is it. Step up. Take your chance. You're gonna. I didn't plan on quoting Eminem, by the way, but I just um you know, but you're you know, this is it. This is your chance to put yourself on display. So do it but Jesus doesn't. He doesn't seize the day. He doesn't stand up. We see in the person of Jesus and a deep embodied humility and submission to the will of the father. And the plan here is that the disciples who we just heard last week, Jesus called to follow him. They've trusted him. And so he, in this moment, allows his glory to be revealed to them and they believe in him. But everyone else at this feast, right, we don't hear, oh, they all marveled and went up to Jesus and asked him for his signature and gave him attaboys. No, that's not what happened here, okay? So we need to see that is what's happening again. So the disciples believed in him. So now that we have that foundation set, right, now that we understand that the sign is not about the miracle. John intentionally doesn't use the word miracle, so we would all be like, wow, look at that. Jesus did this and Jesus did that. Yes, but it should also direct our gaze up to something far greater. And that's what we get to um, press into now in these verses. Now, circling back up to verse one, I'll just kind of walk through and explain some as we go. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. So, in a moment, we'll talk about Jesus' death and r- r- resurrection. And that language on the third day is used to remind us, right? When did Jesus raise from the dead? on the third day, right? Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. That was referred to as the third day. Okay, so as the third day after his death, he died on Good Friday. And then on the third day, he rose again. So even this language is meant to lift our gaze up to something else. So it was on the third day that Jesus was at a wedding. We'll get into the significance of a wedding there. In at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to this wedding with his disciples. So this is a town that Jesus knew well, and Jesus's followers are with him, and so there is likely a relationship with the people whose wedding they're at, okay? They know the fact that Jesus is there, his disciples, his mom. They're at this place where this couple getting married knew him, okay? And now even lift our, our minds up here for a moment or kind of help us to think, this is likely really young people. And that day people would get married in their teens, normally like before 20 or so years old. So they're, they're young. Okay, so there's a lot at stake, right? We know for us, and there's an engaged couple right here, I see, like a wedding is a big deal for us, right? Well, it's, it's life-shaping. For these people, not just the covenant they're entering into, but everything that goes on with it. It normally lasted like seven days. Okay, And we could get into all the details about that. It's, 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 it's incredible. It's, it's exciting to learn about what the Hebrew culture had all this. But it's this long, massive ceremony. So now with that in mind, they were invited. Verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. We just read past, oh, when the wine ran out, right? Okay, go up to, you know, whatever, the store, you know, boom, have Mo, get some more, whatever. Oh, oh well, the wine ran out. You guys shouldn't have drunk it so fast. No, this is massive. This is scandalous, okay? If wine ran out at a wedding that's supposed to last, again, about a week long, this is a source of, again, life-defining shame. Wait, you got, oh, you guys are married. Oh, yeah. When did you get married? Where? where? Who, who all was there, right? That would be tough. Talk- Wait, oh, that's the one that happened where the wine ran out. Wow, your family must be a family of ill repute. You know, your family must not be trustworthy. In fact, some commentators even think that you could be sued. If you were hosting a wedding and people had to take off work and do all these things to be there, to participate in it, and you ran out of wedding, you didn't provide what you were supposed to provide, you could be sued. So there was not only emotional, social consequence, but also potential financial consequence for this young couple. No name. John intentionally, their name isn't in here. We don't know them. But hear me now. What do we see about Jesus in this? He cares. We, we need to look up beyond just water, wine, okay, they ran out, whatever. What is that? Jesus cares. When we talk about things like shame, when we talk about things like, like, like financial struggle, we see Jesus caring. His mother came to him, right, and said, they have no wine. Now, verse 4 and 5 are massively important. So now pick up with me there. And Jesus said to her, Now, remember, he's talking to his mama, right? Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, some translations, the NIV in particularly, adds a word. What's that word? Does anyone here have the NIV and want to shout out that word? Dear, right? So the NIV translation says, dear woman. And most of the commentaries I press into, you know, I think, you know, the NIV is a great translation, things like that. Um, this isn't about, you know, trying to pretend what's better than the other. But most I've heard say that's actually, again, kind of um, cultural um, uh, squeezing in to try to soften something. Because in our day, it's like, you can't talk to your mom like that, right? The Ten Commandments, honor your mother and your father. Jesus is not honoring his mother here. He calls her woman, well, likely that, that word, dear woman, should not have been added. Okay, that phrase, dear woman. The word does mean something like, madam. It's not, it's not, he's not shaming her, but he is differentiating his relationship with her here. It's intentional that he doesn't call her mom or mother, but he calls her woman. And this is, again, not scolding her, but differentiating, but putting her in her place. And also reminding the world around that Jesus, hear me now, Jesus is committed, again, to a path that has been laid out by his Father. Remember the whole purpose of John, right? In the first sermon, in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, says, what's the whole purpose of of this book? That you will believe in Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus takes his cues from his heavenly father. His mission, his purpose, all that we will see. The hour that we're about to talk about, right? His hour has not yet come. It's the hour that has been assigned by his father. His mother doesn't know this, right? His mother likely, if you guys know like the Christmas story, not the one with, you know, Ralphie and the Begun, but the real the real Christmas story, right? Of Jesus' birth, when the angel reveals itself to Mary and tells, tells Mary that she is pregnant, right? And she's blessed among all women. She is she is highly favored more than all other women. So Mary knew a little bit about this and is likely wondering, when's he gonna? kind of show up on the scene? When's Jesus going to finally reveal himself? When's he going to give his glory? I know these things are going to work out, but she didn't understand like no one does. Even the disciples who believe here will learn next week. They don't fully get, probably like most of us when we put our faith in Jesus and enter into a relationship with him, we don't know all that we're signing up for. Right? We don't know every detail that's going to come in our lives. And that's true for everyone in Scripture as well. And so Mary doesn't know all the details. And Jesus wants to make it clear. Listen, I won't be called out or, or forced in any way. So he does call her woman. And he says, what business of this is mine? And then he goes on and says, my hour has not yet come. Again, um, I would underline that if you underline things in your Bible or circle things. You don't have to, whatever, if you do. But that's a really important phrase where Jesus says, why are you bringing this to me, right? This, my hour has not yet come. That phrase is constantly used. Jesus's hour is referring to the hour of Jesus's death. So again, this is like years, potentially three years before Jesus would actually die on the cross And yet his entire life is looking ahead to what he knows will take place. Okay, one author, as we'll see here, he he talks about this idea of of feasting, right? A joy-filled wedding. There's wine. People are are enjoying this, this incredible feast. And yet Jesus is also aware of the sorrow that he will walk into that he will face most fully when he dies on the cross is um, specifically with the Gospel of Mark. There's this phrase used. If, if um, any of you were here when we walked through Mark, there that 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 that, that there's the shadow of the cross is cast over Jesus' entire life. All right, that Jesus, that the reality of dying on a cross. Again, what's the first word that should come to mind when we think of cross? Well, there's a bunch, but one, a massive one that we in our culture tend to miss is shame. We tend to think of pain, right? That was a big deal. But the shame of dying on the cross was the worst part of it culturally. And yet, remember here, right? This couple would have taken on incredible, unbearable shame, life-defining shame. And yet what happens here, we know that Jesus is aware of the shame that he will endure. Okay? And so Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. All right. And I'm going to pause for a minute here to thank Dave, David Province for turning the air down. I, don't, I didn't know if it was the lights or what, but it's getting hot. Right, So thank you, David. I don't know why the air is not on right now in here, but now it's about to be, right? So let's all thank David. All right? All right. Thank you, David, for doing that, taking the initiative. Um, and so, yeah, so now we can hopefully press in a bit more. Right, So Jesus is in this, this festival, this ceremony, and yet he says that his hour has not yet come. And it's because, again, he's looking ahead to the time of suffering. But why are we also looking at a wedding? How is this a sign? Okay, hear me now, right? So go back to that. There's the reality of the cross is casting a shadow over Jesus's entire life. And yet, Jesus also, and this is something you and I can learn from as well, his eyes are also lifted beyond the cross to the horizon of the glorious wedding feast that he is preparing to be enjoyed and participated in with his bride. So the significance of a wedding, again, cannot be missed. That's a theme throughout all of Scripture where Jesus is aware of the death that he will endure, the shame that he will take on. Um, This idea, this phrase, as we'll learn, that, that while everyone is enjoying the cup of joy, if you will, right, the wine, Jesus is aware that in order for his bride to enjoy the the, the the cup of joy for all eternity, he must first endure the cup of sorrow, where his blood will be spilled. So he's aware of that while he's at this wedding. So again, let's look at the the incredible and important imagery here of the wedding. So now let's just read verses six through ten all together here. In verse 6, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. So pause there with me for a moment. This is again a significant important part here. What were those jars used for? What's the word there? Purification. Did I stutter? No. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Right. For purification. the, The jars are. So these are religious symbols. These are, again, massively important. You can't go before God. You can't even pray to God unless you dip your hands. And typically you would you would wash your hands from all the way up to your elbows. Sometimes you usually if you look in the old. Testament, your head as well, behind your ears, your neck. This was a symbol, right? Not that God's like, ooh, you have cooties that can't get close. But again, recognizing God's holiness and our sinfulness. So anytime a Jewish person would pray, would worship, anything like that, there would be this ceremony of washing, of recognizing God's holiness and our uncleanliness. And yet, this is the symbol that Jesus chooses to use to turn water into wine. He, he, right, he could have said whatever. He could have turned the ocean to wine, right? He could have turned a river, a lake, whatever it would be. But he chose these, these, these um, cisterns that were massive. Now, that's also important. How much, there, if you can do the math, I'd ask my 13-year-olds to help me with this. But, right, six times 20 or 30, it's about 180 gallons, that is more than enough. So again, oh, Jesus is all, you know, pro-alcohol, whatever. Oh, he just provides all this stuff. No, again, that isn't even the point here. The point is that what Jesus provides, he does to the full. He does more than our mind could even fathom or imagine. All right? Oh, no, we're out right now. We're out of wine. Don't worry. And Jesus gives more. Okay, I'm good. Thanks. No. And right, his cup overflows. Also, his cleansing is more than we could ever hope or imagine. Jesus, right, this imagery of Jesus' blood is the imagery that we'll learn is, is, is the significance of, of, of wine, and it's more than enough. You write that, those jars full of water will eventually run out and need to be refilled. If you wash yourself and cleanse yourself every time before you go before God, it will eventually run out. But Jesus' provision of cleansing never runs out. Amen? If you put your faith in him, your trust in him, Shame has no place in your life. He looks at you and says, you're worth it. I delight over you. I provide for you in full. And then again, not just a get out of hell free card. Okay, hear me right now. How many of us view Christianity from time to time as kind of just a difficult list of prayer and then one day, at whatever point when you die, God will say, okay, fine, I forgive you. Go ahead into heaven. And it's kind of this boring worship service, you know, where you're all floating around in diapers and playing wings. And it's just kind of boring. And, and I'll just be... I think some people reject or, or resist Christianity because of that. And let me say... I understand where that could be the image or the perspective, sometimes by how maybe even we as Christians tend to live and communicate. But that is not the message of Jesus. That is not the person of Jesus. That is not the, the gospel. If you look at Jesus again, he provides the very best. He, he, he provides a, a party. He's preparing a feast that is beyond what any of us could ever fathom or imagine. And again, it's not just an analogy. It's real. Real feasting, real partying, right? Real celebration, real joy—even more than we have ever experienced or fathomed. For those of you who have been married, or for those who hope to one day be married and imagine your own wedding, that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a distorted picture, a picture, a good picture. I loved my wedding; it was one of the best days of my life. But even that is just a shadow of what is to come. The glory that Jesus is ushering in, and that is significant, and he provides to the full. There's a, a verse entering in, in, and that is significant, and he provides to the full. There's a, a verse, in from the Old Testament all the way, the same language is used in the New Testament. In R- R- Revelation 19 and 22, there's this language of the, of the wedding feast of the Lamb. If you remember John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, behold the what? The lamb of God, right? The wedding feast of this beautiful wedding feast. So in Isaiah, this is the language used. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering of, That is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Again, understand those words with separation and shame. God will wipe that away, but He won't just do that. He will take that away, He will take the shame, and then He will provide. Right? Unending rivers flowing of well aged wine, a banquet table full of incredible food. Right? Jesus doesn't just get us by, He provides the very best. More than we can fathom or ask or hope or imagine. Let me briefly even circle back there. When his mom says, do whatever he asks you, that's again, that's not just, um, that's not her being like, fine. And I actually had a college professor who used this imagery to think, oh, his mom must have said, well, do anything he asks. And then she she kind of gave him a look, you know, like that look, and then walked off. And you hear all these things. No, Mary is to be revered among all women. But especially in our context with a lot of you know, Catholic um, community, Catholic culture, I want to make it clear this is one of the places where we see even Mary understood she was subordinate to Jesus. She's not on equal grounding, equal level. Her language there is not, we'll do anything, yes, and I know if he knows what's good for him, he'll do what I asked him to. And No, there's this, there's this posture, which should be our posture in prayer. I've made my desire known, but I submit, ultimately, God, to your will because I know you're good. And that's what we see in Mary, and we know that he is good. And then, finally, we see that even this master of the feast is confused, right? Um, pick up with me there in verse in Verse 10 right? The, 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 the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of the signs that Jesus did at Cana and Galilee. You've kept the good wine. Nobody does that. Okay, this m- master of the feast is a really important role in their day. Okay, we might insert like MC or host or something. But again, think of a week long. This is like an interior designer, a, a, an event coordinator, a, an executive chef. Like this is the head over all things. This is the presiding officer over this most important life-orienting, life-shaping, image-declaring event is this master. And even he is confused. Right? Uh, what's going on here? Why did you save this incredible wine? He didn't even know all that's going on. Well, this is the best. Well, even he doesn't know. Right? But Jesus, the true host, the true bridegroom, who is preparing a feast for his bride, church, hear me right now. If you put your faith in Jesus, right, you understand some of the language that's used all throughout Scripture. We go from being enemies to being subjects of a great king, right? He's the king and we're the subject. But even that isn't fully enough. Oh, well, children, right? We get to be brothers and sisters together in Christ because he is the, the son of God. We get to be adopted him. we get to be called brothers and sisters of Christ and then, and, then, and then children of God. Well, that's really high. Well, even that's not fully enough. The most intimate relationship is that of a bride to a bridegroom. And that's the language that we see here of what Jesus does to you and to me and to us. When we place our faith in him, we don't just get to be um, participants in the the banquet that is ahead, but we also get to be at the head table. We get to to be right there, his bride, his glorious bride. If you ever read through, again, Revelation, read with that language of the beautiful bride adorned, perfected for her bridegroom. And then how does that happen? How are we perfected? Again, by the blood of Jesus. He's at this wedding while everyone else is celebrating, partying, having so much fun but he knows what it will take for him to provide this unending wine at the feast that he is preparing. Author and pastor Timothy Keller says this, Jesus sat in the midst of joy, sipping the cup of coming sorrow so that you and I can sit. So church, whatever you're facing right now, let us, like Christ, look up and see the cross. And then also look even beyond that to the resurrection. And even beyond that, to the final feast that Jesus has prepared and is preparing for us and has promised that he will usher in. So church, every week we take communion and Corey's about to lead us to respond. And I want to encourage us, not that we should or do ever take communion flippantly or half-heartedly, but let us be reminded all the more today when we take communion, And we do this every week because we know that we need to be reminded. We take communion and whatever kind of sorrow we're facing, we remember Jesus' body broken. And then we remember the blood, which is referred to as the wine that Jesus poured out, his cup of sorrow, so that we can have hope, life-shaping hope, life-defining hope, by drinking of the cup of joy that he has provided. Let's pray together and respond. Again, Heavenly Father, um, thank you for, Lord, for knowing more than we know. Lord, that we, like Mary, come and say, do something, do something. We have a frantic and anxiousness, and we forget your goodness. We forget your authority. We forget your sovereignty. Lord, let us also, like Mary, have an expectation of saying, but he will do whatever he wants. So do whatever he says. Lord, I pray that we will also, Lord, look most pointedly now to Jesus who poured out his life, who, 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 who drank the cup of sorrow far worse than we could ever fathom or imagine or fear so that we can drink the cup of joy. Lord, that we will spend eternity with you. We will celebrate with you Lord, that whatever we're facing now will be but a blip. Lord, for all that we have to look f- forward to. Lord, let that lead and shape our time of worship now. In your name we pray. Amen.